Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan here in Victoria, B.C. For the next hour, you and I are going to discover some great jazz, including some on the fringes of the genre, sponsored by Peterborough Independent Podcasters. This week's podcast is on what has been called modal jazz, a subgenre that became popular thanks to the greatest-selling jazz album of all time, Kind of Blue, by Miles Davis, recorded and released in 1959. I'll start with the best-known tune from that particular album, with a Miles Davis solo that was rated in a Jazz Times poll a few years ago as the greatest improvised solo ever. What defines modal jazz is, according to music professor Jeremy Yudkin, the use of scales that are different from standard major or minor scales, and the way the music is grounded on long passages of unchanging harmony, unquote. On this track, So What?, perhaps the world's most popular modal jazz composition, the first section, which comes right after the extended introduction, is based on one chord or harmony, and the second section, also in one chord, but a half tone higher. Miles Davis, So What?,
Miles Davis. So what? From the very famous and often played Kind of Blue album from 1959, with Miles Davis on trumpet, Julian Cannonball Adderley on alto sax, John Coltrane tenor sax, Bill Evans on piano, Paul Chambers bass, and drummer Jimmy Cobb. That particular tune, by the way, was influenced, as many of Miles Davis's recordings were, by an early recording by pianist Ahmad Jamal, a Morton Gould composition called Pavan from 1955. And Morton Gould was a 20th century American classical and Broadway composer. Here it is, Pavan by the Ahmad Jamal Trio with Ray Crawford on guitar and Israel Crosby bass. <laughs> Thank you. 
Pavan by Ahmad Jamel, 1955. While like with most kinds of music, the origin of modal jazz is controversial, it rose to prominence in the late 1950s, according to Herbie Hancock, as, and I quote, an alternative to the static structure of bebop, its emphasis on freedom and new directions in sound would help change the course of jazz and even carry over to rock and other music forms. Unquote. It all began with a book by pianist and band leader George Russell in 1953 called Lydian Chromatic Concept of Tonal Organization. Russell's theories outlined a method for musicians to step away from chord progression restrictions and use musical scales as the basis for their improvisation. Here is one of the first, but as I'll demonstrate later, probably not the first, compositions to toy with modalities. Bud Powell with Glass Enclosure from 1953 with George Duvivier on bass and Art Taylor drums. So that was one of the first recordings of modal jazz. Bud Powell, Glass Enclosure from 1953. A lot of it sounds pretty classical, doesn't it? And for sure, modes have been used for many years in classical music. 
even that precursor to So What that we heard earlier with Ahmed Jamel's Pavan came from a classical composer, Morton Gould, and many of the modal jazz composers were influenced by composers such as Ravel and Debussy. And even within the realm of jazz, an argument has been made that the first modal jazz composition was actually as early as 1936, when Barney Bigard uh, recorded one Teasel's and Duke Ellington's Caravan. That's a tune that's definitely a standard in most jazz repertoires, and even popular with rock and pop artists. Teasel conceived the melody in 1936 as a result of his days studying music in Puerto Rico, where they could not afford much sheet music. So the teacher would turn the music upside down after they learned to play it right side up. And this inversion technique led to a modal sound through Teasel's work. Here is a 1984 version of that tune, a piano solo by Montreal's Oliver Jones. Caravan.
Oliver Jones, still around, and I believe still performing at the age of 87. And now, for a modal influence tune that became popular around the same time as Caravan. Ron Drodos from KeyboardImprov.com states, when I, attended jazz, when I attended jazz workshops at the University of Massachusetts in the 1980s, the great drummer Max Roach told us that in his opinion, modal jazz got its start in the 1930s when clarinetist Benny Goodman improvised on Sing, Sing, Sing. Now, I suspect that he's referring to the famous live version from Carnegie Hall that was recorded in January of 1938 rather than the 1937 studio version. Let's hear that famous live solo. The whole recording's about 12 minutes long, but I'm going to start it from the seven-and-a-half-minute mark when Goodman starts that solo that Max Roach claims played such an important part in the evolution of modal jazz. But uh, I'll then take it to the end with Jess Stacy's piano solo, which isn't modal, but is certainly great. Benny Goodman, Sing, Sing, Sing.
Benny Goodman and his orchestra. And it's that initial Benny Goodman solo I played that Max Roach claims gave modal jazz its start. Modal jazz has made a huge influence on rock music from the likes of Jimi Hendrix, J.J. Kale, and who knows who else. One of the first tunes I ever remember jamming on with my guitar and where I found it remarkable that just going back and forth between the two chords could sound so good was a J.J. Kale tune called Magnolia. I'll play just a minute of it. That tune has just two chords in the main part and goes back and forth between two other chords in the bridge. And the other instruments just play melodies off those two chords. Here's another one that isn't quite so mellow that does the same thing. Another one that's popular at rock, pop, or folk jam sessions and uh, certainly has a connection to modal music. Jimi Hendrix's rendition of Bob Dylan's All Along the Watchtower. Some kind of way out of here Say the joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessman there Drink my wine Come and dig my earth None will level I was getting late 
Well, it may be modal, but Jimi Hendrix is not jazz. But then again, in 1970, shortly after his death, Downbeat magazine placed him in the Jazz Hall of Fame. And shortly before his death, there had been plans for him to record with Miles Davis. Certainly his music inspired a lot of jazz fusion. As for our theme for today, modal jazz, his version of that Dylan classic we just heard involves improvisations on a pattern of three chords throughout the whole four-minute tune. Now, this is a concept that's been inspired by modal jazz that de-emphasizes chord progressions and instead focuses on improvisations on non-standard scales and on long passages of unchanging harmony. So, jazz has influenced rock, and rock has influenced jazz. The man who probably did more than anybody else in the field of jazz to create what is called modal jazz was a Canadian, arranger and composer Gil Evans, not to be confused with the masterful pianist Bill Evans. I'm going to play a Gil Evans composition that is in the real book, a guide often used by jazz students for jam sessions. The piece is called Las Vegas Tango, and I want to quote some of what Ron Drotos, the creator of a wonderful blog called Journey Through the Real Book, says about this piece and about Gil Evans. He states, Gill uses modal voicings which are derived from the underlying modes. Modal voicings provide us with creative ways to structure our harmonies, which may differ greatly from traditional ways of voicing chords. For example, instead of thinking, I need to include the third and seventh, then work from here, Modal thinking can focus more on the intervals between the notes of a voicing and can be influenced by how the intervals themselves stack up. For E minor 7th, for instance, we might say, let's start with a low E in the bass, then play a B above it, since a perfect 5th has a very resonant effect. Then we can put in a cluster of seconds, such as D, E, F sharp, and G above that, for a crunch, or perhaps to evoke bells or chimes. Then we can end with a high B above that for a high descant-like sound. On Las Vegas Tango, Gill even goes beyond modal voicings by occasionally adding a couple of notes out of the key. He'll take a voicing similar to the one that uh, I've outlined above, and he'll add a high E-flat and B-flat as well. These are notes that lie outside of the traditional harmony, but give a unique sound, and in this case, can produce overtones or resultant tones that we can hear, although no instrument is actually playing them. Now, I hope that this little technical description hasn't hasn't lost everybody. I don't usually like to do too much about the technical stuff about jazz. Um, 
But let's see what Ron Drotos is referring to. Here is Gil Evans with Las Vegas Tango.
From a 1964 album by Canadian-born Gil Evans called The Individualization of Gil Evans. I had mentioned in a previous episode of Discovering Jazz, the one on Miles Davis's Bellwether, episode 156, how Gil coached Miles Davis to simply use a scale rather than playing the chord changes while soloing on Evans' arrangement of I Loves You Porgy on the Porgy and Bess album. His doing this led up to the wider use of, of modes on the kind of blue recording. And what was it? that led Miles Davis to even start those collaborations with Gil Evans. Ron Drotos states that it was hearing those same overtones when Miles Davis was very young in Gil Evans' arrangement of Illinois Jaquettes and Charles Thompson's Robin's Nest for the Claude Thornhill Orchestra, which was one of the pieces that first attracted Miles Davis to Gil's musicianship. Here it is from 1947. Thank you. 
Claude Thornhill Orchestra, some very early cool jazz, the forerunner of the birth of the cool, which then begat modal jazz. Time for one more selection on this program on modal jazz. I started out this podcast by playing Miles Davis's So What, the piece that more than any other led to modal jazz becoming a trend. And according to the writer of so many wonderful books on jazz, Ted Goya, So What had a huge influence on a lot of post-kind of blue jazz, which drew more and more on modes rather than employing complex chord sequences. And John Coltrane's Impressions is one of the best known, where he expanded on Davis's modal improvisations by uh, superimposing scales and melodic concepts over the, the more static harmonies. Here's part of that recording. But because it's 15 minutes long, may only get to play only half of it. But I did play the whole thing in episode 111. John Coltrane's Impressions from 1961 with John Coltrane on tenor sax, McCoy Tyner piano, Jimmy Garrison bass, and Alvin Jones drums. You're listening to Discovering Jazz. I'm Larry Sademan saying bye for now, inviting you to tune in next week, where you'll meet a fan of this podcast from Northern Ireland.